You're listening to Business Stories with Ryan Arcarachi, where I speak to business professionals from all walks of life. Thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. If you are listening and you're anybody like me, you are always looking to improve your skills in sales and business and marketing and everything under the sun when it comes to that. And if you also know that the world of sales is evolving and changing every day, there's new methods, new technologies, new people out there coming out of the woodwork to talk about how great they are and how they need to talk to you and you need to talk to them. But over my years in sales, one particular organization has stood out to me as giving a lot of value and insights above the rest. And one of those I have to say is the Sandler training program, which somebody introduced me to years ago. Once I found out about it, I immediately started to go on YouTube, watch their videos, and everything was really just insightful and informative. And a lot of the tools I've learned through Sandler over the years has really helped me grow. So I'm excited to be joined by Al Sorensen with the Sandler Institute of Sales Training to talk about some of the tools and value that Sandler provides salespeople, business people in many different areas. So Al, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. I'm uh, happy to come be a part and join the podcast and um, and thanks for the nice introduction. Yeah, let's I, I feel let's like I should get my trophy and just go sit home and just hug it for a while. That was solid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So talk to us about your, your background. You come from a kind of an automotive background, which is interesting. And then you evolved into the sales role and what you're doing today with Sandler. So let's talk about that journey a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Well, back in the good old days, uh, pre-internet even, right? Al Gore had yet to invent the internet at that point. Yeah. Um, I started selling cars in 1992 and I was pretty mediocre really at best. And I didn't mind hustling and I didn't mind working hard, but I really, you know, I, anytime something would come along to help me get a little bit, I would take it. If there was a course, if there was a, a seminar or webinar, or I guess there weren't webinars, but seminars to go to, if there was something else like that, that I could get, uh, I would sort of reach out kind of a lot, a lot like you talked about, you know, looking up YouTube videos or finding out more. I just wanted to get better at it. And uh, as time went on, I got better and better and better. And uh, I was selling new Subarus, uh, which in Salt Lake City was kind of a, a great car because they were great in the snow. And if you want to go in the mountains and all, they were just fantastic. Uh, and I just wanted to keep improving. Right. So I actually got to the point where I, as an individual contributor, outsold a number of other dealerships. Uh, just by myself on an annual basis and just wanted to, how do I keep getting more and more? And one day when I, I became a manager at another store, I was trying to explain what I did to uh, a guy I was um, managing. And uh, I could only say things like, well, just do this or just say that. But I didn't really have the skill set or the vocabulary really to be able to say, this is exactly why this will help, or this is how you're setting up the conversation for this to help. And so I, I got in touch uh, with a friend who was a Sandler guy, Dan Bigelow, and he really helped me kind of write some stuff down, like write down your process. What is it you have to do? Okay, well, why do you do that? 
and it really helped me kind of understand. And so that was in 2016 that I started going through that with him. So I had been 2016, gosh, what was that? Uh, Seven years? 26, 27 years, something like that. Uh, and just wanted to still get better. And I just liked the vocabulary they had. And then I liked the psychology they talked about. And then I liked how the psychology and understanding where you want to go. You know, it's one of those begin with the end in mind things. The The process is really, if I want to get to this, what's the least painful, least annoying for the customer uh, way to get there? And so I really, I loved it. And so in 2020, I stepped away from the automotive business and just started doing it full time. And uh, it's great. I I love making a difference for other people uh, and helping them get that next step and get that next leap into changing conversations. And so for me, you know, if I can make it easier or get rid of some of the stink of the term salesperson, because I'm sure, Ryan, you recognize that used car people don't always have like the best reputation for uh, salespeople. Right, right. And it's interesting that you're in the automotive because it seems like people were, I mean, people have, like you said, that stigma about it's, it's out there, right? The used car salesman is is just, you picture a guy in a bad suit, bad haircut, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you got to say things like, hey, what's it going to take to get you into this tonight? You got to say stuff like that, or people just don't feel like they had the whole thing. So you being in that role where you started to to learn and evolve, do you have any particular situations you can go back and look at and go, you know, this is where I really applied this? Without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. So there is a there's a a group, uh, an automotive group in the town I live in that essentially when you go there, they will say, come on inside. They don't really let you look at the cars, but they'll force you into the building and they'll sit down and they'll go over a form. Who are you? How much do you make? What's your social security number? What's your budget? Do you have a car now? Does it have a, they, they take you out of what you would like to do and they force you into their system. Right. Now I will be honest. The questions they're asking make sense. But how they do it was not something I appreciated. And so what I would do in using the Sandler ideas is to understand how to ask those questions conversationally so that it wasn't an interrogation, that it wasn't an issue. And we would just go along as two humans having a conversation about helping them get to where they wanted to get to. And I spent more time understanding Sandler and questions, uh, worried about what they wanted, how they wanted it to be, what they were hoping for. Then I was worried about, I've got to check the box before I can go talk to my manager. Right. So you were digging into them as a person and their particular situation and what they wanted to gain from this result or this transaction. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I, I obviously mine was automotive specific, but like, what do you want? You know, if somebody wants to come and buy a truck, I'm like, tell me how you're going to use the truck. And then I can recommend, you know, the best one for you. Are you, are you going to go to home Depot once a year and pick up, you know, two pieces of wood or maybe a wheelbarrow, or are you going to haul a boat to a lake 300 miles away? 
Do you want to go camp somewhere? What mountains are you going to cross over? What hills are you going to go to? Where do you think you'll use it for this? Is it a daily car? How many seatbelts do you have? So I would sit there and just have a conversation trying to find out what it really was they wanted to have yep. and, and just act like, hey, I'm just here to consult. I'm not here to tell you what to do or not to do. But if I could give you some direction, would you have interest in that? Right. Right. So one thing about Sandler I noticed too, is that it's, it's unique. Like you, you guys have a unique way of training people and you have a neat, unique system and process. So can you talk about why Sandler's, because there's a lot of noise out there, Al, you know it, like there's a lot of salespeople who or sales gurus that come out there and they're on YouTube, they're on LinkedIn, they're all over the place. And some of them are really good and reputable and I'm not going to deny that, but then there's others that are not as good. So to me, Sandler is above all that. What, what, what makes you guys unique in, ter- in terms of your approach? Uniqueness from the approach is that it's uh, the customer first. So every time, and Sandler and Past has had what they call the Sandler submarine. So if you're really into Sandler, that will stick out to you. But now they've gone to more of a, a wheel that keeps rolling. But it starts with understanding your customer. Like, hey, let's work on bonding and rapport. Let's not just jump into, glad you came in, what'd you want to buy? Yeah. It was more like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Where'd you come from? You know, what brought you here today? Let me understand more about you. And is if this is your wife, uh, are you going to be part of this or is this car for you or who gets the new wheels? And, and it's really about spending that first moment building bonding and rapport because I, I don't feel I have the right to ask tougher questions until I understand at least, you know, I care about you and that it makes a difference that we're here. Cause if I'm straight into the punch, then I become every other sales guy. And the yeah. worst part about being every other sales guy is I have to pay for the sins of every other sales guy. Yeah. And then they can tell me how much they hate salespeople and how awful they are. They never do the right thing. Yeah. And I don't really have an interest in that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, cause that, it, it seems hard, especially for me over the years too. Like I've been in that kind of mindset, but over the, over time, as I've gotten more experienced, I do understand the importance of getting to know the person. Um, and connecting on a human to human level. But I think for right. some salespeople, it's very hard and it's awkward to be in that role. How do you suggest easing into that and making it a very organic conversation where it's not this, hey, sit down, tell me what your you know credit score is and all this? Like it, how do you how do you ease into that? Right. Great question. And uh, there's some thought process behind what we do. There's some psychology that goes behind it. And in the best way I can describe it and the easiest way for most people to get it is you pick up your cell phone and it's a number you don't recognize. And I, I tease people about this. So I try and use humor, but does every cell in your body relax when you see an unknown number? Never, never, never. right? Never. Every, every cell in your body is like unknown number. It's going to be a sales guy. How do, how the heck do I get rid of this guy? Right. So each conversation has to start with some variety of pattern interrupts because ultimately from a psychological point of view, you are running a pattern that says unknown number salesperson, 
every cell gets nervous and clinches up and says, how do I get rid of this person? I don't want to talk to them. And you've already made that decision before this person even has an opportunity to tell you they have free gold bars. You just have to say yes. Yeah. So how do we break through? And, And the idea is a pattern interrupt. And so people run psychological patterns. Pavlov, the Russian scientist, created Pavlov's dogs, where he would bring them out, feed them, ring a bell while he was feeding it. And he created this pattern that every time they ate, he would ring a bell. And then he tested, okay, I'm ringing the bell, and the dogs would start to salivate. Mm -hmm. And there was no food. So he created a pattern that they knew that A plus B equaled C. B was the, you know, bring them in put a bowl of food out, C was ring a bell, D they salivate. Well, he went there and he said, okay, I could pull B out, which is putting food out. I can call them in, ring a bell, and they'll salivate, which is true. And that's what most people do now. So that's why bonding and rapport is different and having some variety of a pattern interrupt. Tell me about you. Tell me about what you're thinking. Tell me about where you came from. Are these your kids? What do you like to do differently? Spend two or three minutes about them because this sales experience is not about me as the seller it's about them as the buyer and their willingness to accept from me that uh it's okay if we have a conversation yeah i i 100 agree with that too and i feel like a lot of times the salespeople too we we keep thinking about what the end result is so we always think like i'm on this call i have to make this sale And you're always thinking about that in the back of your head. And that creates a lot of pressure for salespeople. So. Yeah, it it certainly does. And, and, you know, it's, it's not unusual and people need to put food in their fridge, but sometimes you can get desperation breath. Right. And so instead of taking time to understand and having an equal stance between you and the customer, you are not better as the salesperson and they're not better as the customer. You just have an equal business stature, that you have the ability to ask questions. So the next step in the Sandler process from understanding bonding and rapport is to have what Sandler calls an upfront contract, which is really simple. I want to understand your time. I don't want to thank you for being here. Easiest way is to say, I appreciate your time. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. I appreciate you coming in. How much time do we have? Because I want to make sure I'm not violating your time, because that's a big deal. And then I want to reply to them once I know what kind of time they have. Is there any hard stops? Is there anything special I should be aware of? That I want them to know that this experience is about them. Mm -hmm. Hey, Ryan, you're going to have some things you want to talk about, and that's the most important. I'll have a few questions too. So that's part two of the upfront contract. The first one is how much time do we have? The second one is your agenda is more important than mine. The third one is you might say no and no is acceptable. Yeah. And if it is a no, are you okay telling me that? Yeah. And that part scares people. Lots of salespeople are designed to be like, no, I got to put them on the yes train. I just want a series of yeses. But if you don't get to the point where you're like, we're on an equal business stature, your input's as valuable as my input, and we're just here to see if we can make this work. If you say to them, hey, you might say no, and that's fine. I'm happy with the no. Um, I might get there first. You might get there. If you get to the point where you're like, this is not working for us, 
are you okay telling me no? Because I don't want to get ghosted. I don't want to hear something like, oh, you know, let me get my committee together. We got to talk to another firm and we got to talk to this and then we'll get back to you in a few weeks. That's the worst. Yeah. I can't, I cannot recreate time. And I certainly don't like calling people that don't want to be called because now I'm reinforcing bad thought processes about salespeople. So I'm just like, Hey, if we get to the end of our conversation and it doesn't work, are you all right telling me no? And it's interesting. I don't have people get upset about that. Yeah. And then the last part is we have basically an understanding that at the end of whatever conversation we're at, what our next step will be. It might be that we meet again. It might be they buy the car. It might be they bring somebody else. But all we're going to do is get to whatever that agreed outcome is, or they can tell me no. Mm-hmm. And I'm all right with that. And, and that changes things. That's the upfront contract. Ryan, hey, you're going to have some questions. I'm going to have some for you. If at some point during all this, I want you to know it's okay if you say no. Please, I will not be hurt or offended. If it doesn't work, tell me no. If I get there first, I'll tell you. But if it is a yes, when we want to go forward, a yes looks like this. And you just lay out what a yes is. That's called the upfront contract. That's part two of the Sandler, which is Sandler system, which is a little bit different than what you see other people do. Then you have a part three where you want to understand why they're there. What's not working? What is causing you grief or trouble or frustrating you at the end of the day? What isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. And just listen. Yeah. And this isn't where, like most people, this is where most salespeople just get this verbal diarrhea and just throw up all over their customers, every feature and benefit they know, just knowing if they said one more that all of a sudden things would be great and they would hit the magical thing and they would say, yes, I cannot wait to buy from you, Ryan. I have to buy because you said that one magical item. Yeah. I just want to know what's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be a very simple, casual, flowing conversation. You know, and then I, I do need to understand a budget. Like, have they thought about a budget? You know, if you're selling software, like, have you thought about what it's costing you not to have it? And have you thought about what you're willing to spend to make your problem go away? Because ultimately, that's what it is. And then you say, okay, and then how do you guys make a decision? Are you the person, Ryan, that makes the decision for your company? Or is there a committee? Well, if you say, hey, there's a committee, it would make no sense for me to try and close you. But it would make sense for me to say, when would be a good time to meet with your committee and go over the things they've asked us to look at? Right. Yeah. And then, you know, present when it makes sense and then just make sure that if there's a problem, you know about it so that you can take care of any problems at the beginning than later on. And, and it's, it's a great system because it's very simple and it's very customer oriented instead of being very much, I got to tell you what to do and I have to control the conversation and I have to, these things are here for me to make you better. That's mm-hmm. not the experience. Yeah. I think it's so true that that salespeople don't really, there's there's listening and hearing, and, and they don't some people just don't really tap into really listening in a deep sense to the emotional strain and the pressure that the lead or the client is feeling. They're not digging deep into the pain enough and they're not really listening. And a lot of people just skim over that 
and they just jump into talking about features and benefits. Um, and that's Why? one thing I noticed. I, I think I noticed it with myself too, is that early on, I, I was all about features and benefits and I wasn't about the person and the problem and, and how long the problem has been happening and what it's, what it's doing to them and their business personally. Right. So that to Correct. me is, is impactful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is. And, and, you know, Stephen Covey from uh, seven habits of highly effective people, he talks about it as uh, empathic or empathetic listening. Yeah. And a lot of times salespeople are guilty of what you talked about. They listen to respond yeah. and they almost hear a few words they get happy years and like, oh, I know how to fix this. And it's almost like they're putting their hand up in front of the person saying, if you'd stop, if you would just stop, I could solve your problems. Please quit talking. Yeah, right. And instead of listening to understand how it affects them, how does it affect them in a business? What's the impact of that? What's the impact to them personally? Yeah. Like if this isn't going well, do they miss their son's soccer game? Do they miss their daughter's ballet or tennis or their soccer game or baseball? What's the personal impact to right. this problem? And listen yeah. deeper. And you're 100% correct. People usually run past that instead of taking, and I view it like it's you're on a freeway, right? You're having this conversation on a freeway. And I really like the idea of they're going to have something at one moment in your conversation that's an off-ramp. Yeah. And it's an off-ramp to understanding if I pulled off here and I asked you more questions about that, I may find that what I was originally considering as a solution for you is not the right answer, but this other one will. Yeah. And people want to be heard. People want to know that what you're saying, actually, yeah, I get that. You know what? That makes sense. And it's just a completely different thought process when somebody feels truly heard. Right. Yeah. I don't think like, I don't think salespeople do that enough is they don't really look at, but sometimes there's a, there's a, there's what they're telling you, but there's something deeper that they're not telling you. And I think the hard part is to dig, to get to that second layer of what it really means. You know, well, my product's going to save you time, but what does that mean to you? What does saving, does saving time mean you get to spend a time with your family and go on vacation or do something you love? There's always a deeper, I think a deeper level that a lot of salespeople don't dig towards. But have you, in your experience, Al, or do you have a story maybe where you've done that or you've seen it happen for yourself? It's not happened. I, I do a lot of film study, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, in athletics, you know, people watch film all the time on their competition. What are they going to do? Yeah. Well, it makes sense to do film study on yourself as a salesperson. So I worked with a SaaS company, a big one, um, and I was watching one of their discovery calls. And it was really interesting. Uh, the customer said, do you use this email program? And all of the salespeople, their eyes lit up. And you could see her. She was leaning forward. She was into the conversation. She was just, everything they were handing her, she was just taking it all in and loving it. And uh, the manager was on there with a brand new sales guy. And I was working with the new sales guy and the manager just kind of says, I got this. And he said, you know what? Let me tell you about that program. And he spent the next two and a half, almost three minutes of straight telling all about the program. Mm -hmm. And all she'd said was, do you work with this? Yeah. And then he gets to the end and he says, what do you think about that? 
And what do you think her answer was? Uh, not. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure she was not impressed with because her her question wasn't really wasn't really I mean, it was answered, but it was answered excessively, right? So that's irritating. Well, it was answered excessively, but here's the real thing. So exactly what you said. Yeah. What she asked the question about was not the real question. Right. So she said, well, I don't know. I don't even know what that program is. So I guess I'd have to see a case study or something about it. Right. And all of a sudden you could see as he was talking that she started leaning further and further back in her chair. And she started looking around the office. She was looking at this. Yep. And what he thought was the real issue was not. Right. And what he could have said was, you know what? I'm so glad you asked. That's a, a fairly common question. But so I can understand how you guys would use it or not. Help me know why you asked that question. If he could right. have had what Sandra refers to as reverse, I want to ask you a question so that I know that when I answer what you're hoping for, I'm not guessing. And most salespeople guess. And in this scenario, the manager completely guessed. And it was not what she needed. Mm -hmm. What she needed was somebody to say, uh, you know, why would you need that? Tell me how you'd use it. And if she said, you know, I don't even know, it could have been a 30 second, you know, it's a great program. It does a lot of cool things. It handles your email, but let's worry about that later. And all she needed to know was, yes, it did or no, it didn't instead of full integration. Right. And people run past off ramps all the time because they'll say, oh, it's kind of an innocuous question or I didn't really think. But if you're willing to listen enough and stop, you can say, oh, my gosh, that that's a big deal to you. Let me let me understand more about that. That seems, that seems important and take your time. There's, there should never be a rush in a discovery call if at all possible, because it should be all about them and what they're struggling with or having issues with, but it, it did show up on video and it was quite the, quite the interaction. And it actually almost pretty much shut down their conversation with them because they missed the off ramp and they just kept cruising on by. And it's interesting too how you notice the physical nonverbal cues. Like, and I think through it's harder through video chat than it is in person, but you could tell when someone's if they're not looking at the screen anymore, they're looking anywhere else, they're looking at their watch, their phone, or they're leaning back. Those are indicators that you're not doing the best job you could be, and they're not fully engaged. So um I thought that was interesting how you brought that up. And I think a lot of that happens from exactly what you said. If they're asking a question, it means it's something they care about a lot. So if you're not listening to that question, then you're going to lose them, right? Yeah. Essentially. And if you don't understand why they asked the question, right. that's even worse. Yeah. And so I, I coach my guys whenever you're on a Zoom call or we're, or Teams or whatever medium you use, have your camera on. And encourage yeah. everyone there to have their camera on right. because, you know, communication is, you know, 7% words, which sounds weird. And it's 35 or 38, excuse me, percent tone, how fast they talk, how loud, how quiet, were they happy? Were they sad that you can hear? Yeah. And then the, the 55% left is body language. Right. And so if you choose to only go with what I'm hearing, um, then you're eliminating like 55% of your opportunity to use your skills 
Yeah. Because it's not convenient or you don't like it or you don't know, or you're not comfortable. You don't, it doesn't matter. Figure it out. Yeah. Because to use all of your senses, you're way better. If you can see them and interact, they're leaning forward, they're laughing, they're smiling. How would you know if they're smiling? If you crack a bad dad joke, like I do all the time, how do you know if somebody kind of smiles a little bit? Right. Right. Yeah. So let's circle back to, to the Sandler sort of program. Al, like if people are listening to this and they want to get involved with Sandler or at least maybe attend a free session or a free virtual class, whatever you have, what's the approach with new people coming into Sandler and who, who is your ideal sort of fit? I know you guys work with everybody. I mean, business people from all different walks of life. So right. talk to us about sort of the program as you come in, what, what can you expect with Sandler? Sure. Well, we do uh, virtual classes every week. Um, and there are opportunities for one-on-one digging into your specific area or expertise and how to present it specifically. But each week we have online courses that are live that we go to that we send you a Zoom link. And uh, and we encourage people, like, if you're really interested, come and crash a class. Mm-hmm. And I'll make sure you have a, a link that you can hand out to people. Ryan, if somebody wants to crash a class, it costs you nothing. It's a 90-minute course. You'll get some handouts. Uh, and within that, we do a few things. We we find out what people have had great success with. So what Sandler technique did you have a win with during this last week? And then we'll break out into just a plain problem-solving 10-minute session where you get broken into smaller rooms and there's a Sandler trainer in each room. And we just say, what's something people are going through? What's something you're struggling with? Mm-hmm. And we give everyone an opportunity there. And then the balance of the time about 60 to 70 minutes left is all on that topic of the week. There's a handout for it that you can take the framework at your own home, write out your own word tracks. Here's how I'd use it. Here's how I'd help with this. And then at the very end, we have a couple minutes of, Hey, what did I learn today? And people share what they learned and then go on. Um, and it's, it's all about, about weekly reinforcement. You know, if you really truly want it to stick and make a difference, you know, like going to the gym, going each week or each, you know, having a set pattern makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. But I could say too, that it's not only about, and I encourage people to go do this. Like if, if you can't, if you don't want to jump in and, and buy or any, buy something or spend money right away, at least go to the website, get on a class or go on YouTube and look up Sandler training. You'll find a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and ours, ours is easy. Yeah. Ours is real dot sandler which is like adam sandler but without the adam yep dot com so real dot sandler dot com and there's a link on there to crash a class and yeah please come we have them on tuesdays and thursdays feel free to take a test drive see what it feels like see how it is if you hate it let's talk about it if you love it let's talk about it but at least you know have an open honest conversation do you have any uh, particular situations, Al, that sticks out in your mind with people that have come in and really seen success and just positive results? And again, I tell people listening to like, you have to apply this, you know, learn from it and actually apply what you learned. Because if you go to the classes and you just, you're just there to be there, you're not going to get the full value and benefit unless you actually apply what you learn. So any, any like particular situations that stand out to you, Al, with the people you've worked with? 
You know, one of them was was really good. I, I work with a, a woman who owns her own company that works with hazardous chemicals. Huh? And she knows how to do what she does. She knows how to go into the business. She knows how to say you've stored this in the wrong place. You don't have it. She knew the how of her business extremely well, done it for a couple of decades. But she didn't know how to talk to people about it. Right. And so what we were able to do is get her very comfortable with, this is how you talk to somebody. This is how you have a conversation that invites them to want to know more instead of let me just tell you, tell you, tell you. Yeah. And within that, she's been able to land some big clients that are, instead of just one-time visits, they turned out to be like almost a permanent position at that company that they pay her every month to do stuff. And it's interesting that she's finding more and more of those because she knows how to ask questions better. Right. And she's got, so she, now she's recognizing things, signals and cues that were always there. Um, I had another guy in a SaaS company that was a consistent 40, 45% quota guy, uh, worked hard, knew his product without a doubt, but didn't know how to go from like tech talk, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. to engaging the people. Yeah. And he actually went from about a 40, 45% of his quota to about 105, 108%. Wow. And that made a massive difference for him. And it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't that he was trying harder or less hard, but he was willing to say, this is uncomfortable, but I'm willing to try uncomfortable. And then he saw success. And then as he practiced it more, it got comfortable, just like lifting weights or swinging a golf club. At first, it's always a little different. So you want to go back to whatever you thought was comfortable. But as he stuck with it and went through, exactly like you said, the more he applied it and the more he practiced it, he noticed that he absolutely made a huge difference. So instead of just getting salary but never the bonuses, he was able to get salary and crush the bonuses. One thing I could tell you, too, just from my education with Sandler just over the years is that it it really takes a lot of guts to get vulnerable and admit that your way of doing things may be wrong. And I think, Al, you probably know this and maybe you've experienced it yourself, but it's never fun to look in the mirror and go, oh, this is, this the way I'm, the way I'm conducting this discovery call is not good, or I'm not asking the right questions. And then having to get uncomfortable and admit that you're wrong is hard. But I think when you get over that hump, that's when the success really starts to come, come to you. So have you seen that too with yourself? Or with I others? have. I, well, I've seen not only me, you were like, I was always hungry for something. So if I, if somebody could talk me through yeah. and I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll try that. Or, oh, I get that. But I did have a company that was good sized and we did two groups. One was their sales department and one was their fulfillment department. So they would do repeat customers and business and stuff like that. And the salesman obviously did new stuff. Well, the salespeople are like, we know what we're doing. We don't need you. We don't like your idea. We don't like how you want to run a demo call. We don't, we don't, we don't need it. In fact, they resisted even sending video over. Mm-hmm. It took like six months to get them to send me a video to review, to go over with them. Well, the fulfillment side was like, we love it. What can we do? And they grabbed hold. The funny part was, is last year in this quarter, the fulfillment department outsold the sales department. Wow. And the fulfillment department was not salespeople. I believe because they could get comfortable asking questions and there was a comfort level between both sides. Like, Oh, that's a good idea. I think I'll do that. And I like this. So I've seen it work miracles on people that aren't supposed to be salespeople. And I've seen those that don't 
that just know for sure that it would never work are generally right. It won't work for them because they know for sure it won't. But I've seen the guys that are master salespeople apply it and it's unbelievable. I I think it's true because even with myself, I think this, the relationship really doesn't kick off to me until after the sale when you can truly engage with the client and then give them more value, more help, more information, more content, more ideas. And that's when it leads to bigger things, more referrals, a better relationship and more opportunities. And I think people sometimes forget that the sales not over when they sign the sales ongoing for the lifetime you're working with these people. Right. So you have to continue that, that relationship. Right. Yeah. And, and if you're not setting up, so like part of Sandler is how to set up a future conversation. If you're not having a conversation about how to do better with referrals and how to get them comfortable to hand you. And, and I don't like the word referral. I like introduction because referral seems like one of those timeshare words that everybody gets nervous about. Yeah. But if you're like, Hey, would you mind introducing me to your friends or introducing me to somebody you think it makes sense? Uh, that's an easier one, right. but yeah, it, it is not over like, Oh, sign him. I'm out. I'll never see him again. These are people that have trusted you to make this work and they'll probably trust you with people they know and care about and like, yeah. if you can nurture that conversation all the way through. And I think you should. Right. Well, this has been good. If you're listening to the podcast and you want to check out Sandler or, or get in touch with Al, Al, what's the best way for people to get some free content from Sandler as well as maybe get introduced to some of your classes or even just reach out to you for questions? How can they, uh, yeah, I would. Uh, the easiest way is probably the real. So R E A L dot Sandler, S A N D L E R dot com. Uh, my information's on there, information about the classes. Uh, I'll happily give you my email. Uh, you can put it in the thing, but it's Algot, which is A L G O T, not your average name. So like Algot Training or Algot a Car or Algot a, a Dinner. <laughs> yeah. So algot.sorensen with an E-N, S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N, and then at Sandler, which is S-A-N-D-L-E-R.com. Great. Well, thank you, Al. Thank you for the continued education and the help. Uh, I can tell people listening, you know, you've really got to look into Sandler if you want some help, take your sales to the next level, get some good insights, talk to the good people there. And, um, thanks again, Al. It's been a, another great conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. And hopefully we get to talk again. Yeah. Hey, this is Ryan. Are you in the market for a customer relationship management system for your business? Well, before you drop a dime, pick up my book, customer relationship management exposed now available on Amazon. Just search customer relationship management exposed and my name, R Y A N. A-R-C-O-R-A-C-I. This is your definitive guide to saving money before purchasing a CRM, so pick it up today.